Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Today we are checking the market, specifically the livestock markets, and to take us through what's been happening recently with cattle and sheep. I'm joined as usual by Chris Howie, General Manager of the RMA Network, supporting independent stock and station agents across Australia. Chris, welcome. How are you, Kerry? Very well, thank you. And Matthew Dalgleish from Episode 3 or Ep3, the online market intelligence newsletter. With a lot of listeners, a lot of listeners you didn't know you really had, did you, Matthew, at one stage? <laughs> That's right. You never know. You never know who's looking at you, Kerry. Thanks for having uh, me on again. Even in the federal parliament where they put one up your ribs. Quite unfairly, I have to say. <laughs> That's it, mate. That's it. Now, men, I think it's fair to look back at the year that was. How do you call this year? Well, Chris, take it away. I think we, I think we all read about this time last year that you know we were going to have a market reset. We were working our way, you know, to a comfortable level for everyone involved. But that hit the floor and went straight through it like an elevator with a cable broken. So uh, we've tried to chase it down to get to where we thought the levels were going to stabilise. And um, look, it's taken us twelve months, and but I think we're there now. But yeah, it's been it has been dead set hard work. It's stripped all the confidence out of out of those that are trading sheep and even those that are breeding them and and, uh, and cattle as well. It's just, it's made hard work of it, to tell you the truth. Matthew, did you uh, have any idea that this might be the year that eventuated? Yeah, look, we, we were speaking about this return to dry. If you looked at the normal kind of pattern of wet to dry, the, the average time frame is about two years. Um, and you look at the longer term trend. So, so last year we were saying exactly what Chris was saying. We looked at corrections due. And, and this correction is part of that broader kind of cycle we see in these markets. But the strength of the correction um, surprised us as well, I think. Yeah, and, and some of it was supply chain driven and, and still issues with processing. It's, it's, not, it's not that the demand's fallen away when you look at the export markets. The markets are still strong. The prospects longer term are still strong for red meat, whether it's sheep meat or beef. But yeah, the level of this correction, where we sit now, is still what I would call quite undervalued. So, you know, I think the corrections happened and we're, we're pretty much near the bottom personally. And I think the next phase into next year will be um, you know, a, a test back to the top side. So both of you consider that we may have hit the bottom. There's little, if any, downside left? In the sheep meat space, I'm, I'm just thinking we still have the Bitcoin flush to get through. And that's not to say that it's going to kind of collapse or go further south because we have had a bit of a, you know, a, bit of a bounce in the last few weeks. But I, I do think um, it's going to be tricky for you know the lamb side to get to get higher in the short term just while we work through that flush. Um, but I think once we're in the other side of the flush and we head towards you know the, the, the autumn break next year, and if, if we do see this um, deterioration of the El Nino, which the Bureau are saying it, it might break down over summer, and if it doesn't reform into the new year and we go to a more normal season, I think then it could be off to the races then. Yeah, well, it's uh, largely about the weather, isn't it? Uh, Chris, you, you are on the B Central Record as saying, Forget the price. Look at the margins. So we are on the bottom now. We can we can look confidently ahead. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that too. Look, we're already seeing a shortage of good heavy lambs starting to appear. The price hasn't moved yet, but there's inquiry. I think after and I'm with Matt. We've still got the flush. You know, Bendigo, Ballarat, Horsham, uh, Hamilton. They're all on song now. But we'll get to the middle of December. Agencies are already telling me in the in the cropping areas that they're starting to quiet and write off. The Western Australians have said that their run of good lambs because of the season in the south is evaporating quickly. So I just think after Christmas, quality lambs will still continue to 
improve, how much I don't know. And that, that really does make store lamb extremely viable at present. Yes, I noticed Woolies the other day uh, decided to reduce their price of lamb. Was that was that an inevitable or was it the result of pressure from certain quarters, do you think? Whenever anything gets in the mainstream media, uh, you, you always see the response. You know, regional media doesn't really carry the weight, but a lot of people had been querying the disparity between shelf price and uh, sale price. Yeah, it's a pity they haven't uh, spoken more about beef rather than just lamb, but well, oh, that will come now down. Chris, you also mentioned earlier on the lack of confidence. Is that still the case? Well, just and, – and there's no real measure to this. I suppose we could use the Eki. Um, the, uh, the confidence just seems to be changing at present. We're seeing individuals enter the market talking – and I talked to a lot of agents over the last week, and they said we're just starting to get farmers saying, right, well, we, we've got a bit of stubble available. We will buy a few. Um, versus two weeks ago that it didn't matter how what they were worth, you couldn't place them. So I actually think we're on the right side. The bit of rain in the New England up into Roma, speaking to those lads, the cattle market, light cattle, have jumped 30 to 50 cents in the last week on the back of that rain. Matty, uh, what's the difference in the markets now between Victoria where they've had substantial rain, southern New South Wales where they've had reasonable rain in parts, New South Wales droughty, Queensland droughty, and then they're still waiting for the wet season in the north. There's substantial differences across the uh, three or four areas, aren't there? Yeah, it is a bit patchy. And I'd, I'd add too that I think if you if you separate Victoria, the Gippsland side, the eastern side of the state is also probably dry and, and a bit kind of scratchy as well, whereas the, all the western district is still pretty good and has had a reasonably good kind of run-up in through spring. It's, it's green in areas that aren't normally green at this time of year still. So it is, it is a bit of a tale of um, two kind of types of um, environments at the moment. Chris, is that how you see it as well? There is for sure. Look, when you get into the south, pretty much from now on, if it hasn't rained, the south, South Australia, New South Wales, they don't want rain. It's going to destroy their dry feed. Yeah. Um, speaking to Queensland yesterday, it, it, it was dry up there, but it hadn't got to that bad dry. But the confidence, you know, and one agent in particular said, he said, I've never seen them get become so so down on the season when the season wasn't as bad as what it's been in the past. And now there's a bit of rain and all of a sudden it's a, it's like a complete 180-degree turn in within days. Yeah, they only had 30 or 40 mils on the on the down, so it wasn't substantial. But it was enough to get a bit, a bit of a fizz through summer. But let me quote some indicators on how bad the past has been the past 12 months or so. Feeder steers, now around $2.12, down $2.97, thanks, uh, this time last year. Processor cow indicator, $1.67, this time last year, $3.81, thank you. And the good old Eki, which is, I guess, for pet street farmers, now $3.82, this time last year, over ten dollars, it's lost close to six dollars forty in twelve months. <laughs> I just find those prices and those price drops just absolutely overwhelming. How did it all happen? I would suggest uh, the Eckies are probably a good one, and this is not to pick on it, but what we saw is a lot of secondary cattle, very very average secondary cattle, making exceptional money, and but they're all picked into the Eckie calculation. What we've seen now is that the quality cattle held their own, you know, they've come back a long way, they've held their own, but the absolute failure of um, price on those secondary cattle has really has really impacted uh, the ECI as an indicator. When you go to cows, we're just 
starting to see inquiry, and you know, this is only in the last few days, inquiry for those good clean cows. The southern cows have got quite a bit of fat on them, and if you're targeting the 85, 90 CL market, you can't have those big lardy cows. You need those sort of clean cows to, to average yourself back. So I just think there's a few signals that we haven't seen, I don't think we've seen for six or eight months, on both cattle and sheep that are, that are starting to indicate that there's a, there's a bit of movement happening. Our dollar was around 70 cents at this uh, start of the year, now 64 cents. Uh, Matt, we can't blame the dollar for our problems, and I, and I want to brush on exports as well because they've been phenomenal, especially in the last two or three months. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you look at the longer-term average for the Aussie, it's about 77 cents too. So even down at 64, like you know, compared to the normal longer-term trend, that that's a reasonably competitive level. It's not, you know, obviously um, from an export perspective, once we get a five in front of it, it gets even better. But that that's fairly, you know, it's not very common that it sits, you know, in the fives or, or even lower, uh, you know, very often. Um, but the export market's been booming, absolutely. I just touch on when you said about prices, Kerry. The only thing I touch on too is, is I think Chris um, hit the nail on the head when you described the ECI as a, a good confidence indicator. You know that 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 indicator is so driven when we had when we get rain and good season by what restockers are doing. And you know, a lot of what we've seen in this correction has been that restocker activity has gone, that kind of really heady um, chasing after cattle because of that grass fever feeling and that rebuild that was very aggressive. That's all gone. So we're, we're reflecting levels that, you know, kind of the processes are more likely to be happy to be paying and maybe even below that um, and just because that confidence has turned so south and, uh, and, and people went into a bit of a fire sale mode because of the worry about the dry. So and that's what, you know, the ECI very much is a confidence indicator for the cattle market, I feel. Yeah, the exports, our newest best friend, China, as we're told they're the newest best friend anyway, we're pretty likely to exceed the quota for um, the quota free limit for beef. Is, the, is this an issue going forward? Uh, yeah, look, it's got, it'd, be, it'd be better if we had more space in terms of quota, but I think that's one of the things to take out of this. But even through that whole period when, when the Chinese government were you know, still locking out those abattoirs, um, they still they still were taking reasonably good amounts of beef above average levels of beef, and actually this year, even before uh, Prime Minister Albanese's visit, in the last few months, the Chinese have been continuing to take more Australian beef, and and just this month, they've actually moved into second top spot, so they've misplaced Japan. Japan's dropped back to third position now, and obviously, you know, the big turnaround in the US this year, they've gone from being fourth position to number one, so the US are back to being our top destination for beef, and it, it's starting to mirror. The situation we saw back in fourteen fifteen through that drought period, when the US were, you know, where they were in their cattle cycle, they were starting to run out of supply, and the cold stores in the US has been going down all of this year. So, given how cheap our product is now, we're very competitive into the US, and it's starting to show in our flows of, of exports. So, out of the three top kind of nations, the US, South Korea, and China are all above average in terms of their demand for Aussie beef. And the US very much above average. I think they're 60% above the five-year trend for this for this month just gone. So a huge turnaround. And Japan's the only one that are just failing a bit. And, and that's, that's largely due to the fact that they've got very high um, cold store stocks. So they're still working through stocks. And so the demand's staying a bit subdued despite despite the really competitive pricing of Australian products. That will come, I assume. Japan exports uh, are showing the reduction in American competition, presumably because America simply can't supply yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. that's right. But they've had, they have, you know, the US have been sending quite a lot into Asia up until the last, you know, six months or so. But that's turned around as well as they get tighter and tighter, and as they're into their fourth year of liquidation, 
um, you know, the lowest herd there, I think, in over nearly, I think, 15 years or so. So they, um, they're getting to the stage now where they're, and their pricing has gone to record levels. So I, I think the US are about to turn in the next maybe six months, I think they're going to turn into a rebuild phase. That's what their price is signaling. Um, and all we need is for that um, change to the weather patterns. They're still in drought in some areas, so that's probably the only factor that's stopping them from turning around into rebuild, um, which, will, which will make the markets very exciting into 2024, 2025, I think. I'm checking the markets with Chris Howie. He's the general manager of the RMA Network. And Matty Dalgleish from Episode 3, back in a moment. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinogun. Available from your local vet today. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders, for Australian agriculture. We're checking the markets on the grill for Beef Central with Matty Dalgleish from Episode 3 and Chris Howie, the General Manager of the RMA Agents Network. Chris, are we still selling heaps and heaps of mutton and lamb to uh, to China? Now, it's always, the stories are good. <laughs> I got told only yesterday, every plane going out of Melbourne Airport is chock-a-block full of mutton and lamb going into the Middle East, any Middle East-bound uh, aircraft. Right? Wow. Um, Imagine how much we could put on if Qatar was here. Um, <laughs> but the uh, and and they've just it's only come out this morning. The uh, Saudi live export trade is open again, and uh, they're talking first consignments within the next uh, two to three weeks, and that's a great result. You know, Saudi was a massive partner; they've been out for ten or eleven years. You know, that's really going to take some pressure off the Western Australians, and in, in turn, that creates a knock-on effect of, of taking taking animals out of the system, which in turn helps price. I'm sure your friends in the um, political arena in the, in the Parliament House in Canberra would love to hear that, Matty. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd, I'd add with that, with, with those flows, the box product flows, it's not just the Middle East that are firing. Um, China for mutton continues to be as strong as ever. Um, they've had their strongest year on record um, this year and, and, they're, and they're increased. They're, they're above average for um, sheep, like lamb exports as well. Um, we've got the U.S. lamb exports have started to improve in the second part of this year, so they're back to you know above average levels. Um, the Middle East are firing, as Chris said. You know, so we've got multiple different destinations to sheep meat that have been aggressively taking product most of this year. So you know there have been stories of of cold still being an issue for sheep meat, but certainly the um, the export flows we've seen so far this year don't really kind of correlate to the fact that you know, they seem to be um, having plenty of space still and plenty of appetite. And again, it's an issue in, you know, we're very competitive at the moment given these very low livestock prices. And then just on that, Kerry, I, I, and I haven't got any facts, but uh, I only got told last week uh, a significant amount of mutton does go into the US for their prison system 
And when it started getting up where it was, you know, it was just it, it was price inhibitive. Whereas now it's back into that realm, which is you know every 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 outlet is a good outlet. I would suggest at this time. Yeah. What are we selling in such volume? Well, I know what we're selling in such volume to China, but are we selling any of that um, eight score marble wagyu that we did? Just a couple of years ago, is that back in the back in the game? Uh, Wagyu exports are always a tricky one. They don't really report on it, so you have to be in the know or talking to people in the space to know um, what's going on. Given the given the drop we have seen in Wagyu pricing here, we're going through another bit of a, a downward patch in Wagyu pricing here, um, like we saw through twenty eighteen nineteen to a degree. I would suspect that the demand is picking up, and there is product going there just based on 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 the price levels. So I think that it's um. That it be a market that you know has been um, growing in its appetite for that particular type of animal, and, and that conspicuous Chinese consumer that likes to you know likes to be seen to be having certain products of, of, of kind of high regard. I think that that'd be um, right up their alley to have it at a good price point. Can I look at the deep dark shadow over the cattle industry, and and I refer of course to live exports out of the north. Our numbers around fifty thousand a month, usually around eighty thousand. Where are those thirty thousand cattle going? Are they just staying in the paddock? Yeah, I think I think we talked about this um, sort of eight nine months ago, Kerry. Yeah. Because of the extreme prices going back over the previous two three years, there'd been such a clean out of any animal that they could get onto a truck has gone. So they were starting from what you would suggest is a really a, cl- a really clean balance sheet. So you know the new season were the sale calves and you know your older cows and so forth. So maybe we didn't have that residual hangover of numbers, um, you know, and that'll reappear. You know, that'll that'll build on itself as it always does. But perhaps the the live export suppliers, you know, the the, the graziers, had got themselves to an inventory level that they were they were able to manage. They they didn't have those excess numbers. Well, the big numbers, Chris, 30,000 head, a month difference from last year and the year before, the five-year average, I think, isn't it, uh, Matt? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It's like, compared to the five-year average, we're about 30,000 30, that are not going across presently. But there's, there's, there's the sort of cattle that nobody wants, dare I say that? The only the only spot, really, if you're not going to keep them you know, on farm is, is to send them into that kind of grinding beef trade, which can happen occasionally, but... It's, you know, from an economic perspective, it doesn't make as much sense because you're just not going to get the value on them. When you put your foot on the rail in the sale yards, Chris, what what are Gracie's talking about there at the at the present? What's the main concern? How come how come they can pay it last year and they can't pay it this year? You know, all of those bits and pieces. That's that's the main chat. And and we've got to be mindful. We talk about the industry as a continuous flow, but you look the majority of of graziers and farmers. They have two or three sales a year, and then they're out. You know, they're re- they're breeding or they're harvesting or cropping or whatever. So they're not in the market all the time. So I suppose the commentary, especially you know, with the likes of Matt and yourself and what we do, it's about trying to put some context into why and where things are. And, and this year's been very difficult. I was just thinking before one of the little areas that is probably never spoken about what's going into China and what's going into other areas. Is the offal, you know, eyes, ears, and arseholes. There's that, that, that's a lot of money these days. In the past, it just covered the cost of the kill, but these days, it's a significant part of any animal that's being processed through the system. Um, so, I, I think what we've seen is as soon as the grazier steps back into the yards, 
and we saw this with um, Old Mutton the other day. As soon as they step into the yards and bid, the market immediately starts to find some legs and, and the processors then have to go keep going to uh, secure their number. We just haven't got that strength of confidence there yet to lift the market completely. You know, it's only in spits and spats. Yeah, Offal has been often underestimated. We'll have to look at that next year in one of our market reports, I think, especially uh, in relation to a certain gentleman in uh, central New South Wales might be able to tell us a bit. It's one of the um, it's one of the best cuts out going out there. If you listen to um, the podcast I run occasionally, we're always talking about the, the qualities of Offal and you know, high-protein, low-fat. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a fabulous thing. Not, we don't see it enough anymore. In the old days, Kerry could go into any pub and get lamb's frying bacon on the menu and you have to search high and low these days for a little lamb bacon. One of my favourites, <laughs> and, and it is it is rare as rocking horse, but you just cannot find it anywhere. Where, uh, Mount Gambia sale yard. Mount Gambia. Lamb frying bacon <laughs> for breakfast. I'll be having it tomorrow. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Hope you're lucky. There's, there's, one, there's one pub in Ballarat that still serves lamb brain, crumbed lamb's brain. That's, wow. But, it, you know, it's... That's another one you don't see any more these days at no, all. I'm so impressed. Imagine if we got them in the menu in Parliament House. Oh, well, look, I could, I'd go anywhere, I can tell you what. I can't find one in Brisbane. Look, uh, forecast from the bomb, not promising. November through to January, wet and dry conditions nowhere, virtually. Um, hot and dry conditions just about everywhere. So what's the outlook? What do you think of the outlook over the, over this coming three months? The three-month outlook since about the middle of the year has been quite disastrous and it hasn't quite lived up. I know there are areas that have got suffered some dry spells and there, there are areas kind of teetering on drought and stuff but even still beside that the, the level of how bad they're saying it was going to be hasn't quite eventuated yet so um, I'd continue to just see how it plays out. Like I said there, there are overseas um, forecast models as well that look at you know what's happening particularly in that ocean space with regards to this El Nino and quite a few of those are saying that we could see it break down over summer. Um, so I'm not sure if we'll see it quite as bad as what the Bureau was saying, but um, it's one of those things with whether you just got to, I think once it's done, you better to comment rather than try and continue to, to see how the forecast is going to roll. Yeah, Chris, uh, below average chance of cyclones, which is always a good uh, input to the rain gauge, uh, it, it, it doesn't look promising, does it? No, and, and I, I had this chat yesterday and, and I learned something. For the far north Queensland, those cyclones that, you know, there's benefit. But when I was talking to a couple at Roma, they said that unless they turn into that uh, tropical depression that comes right down, yeah. what they actually do is suck the moisture out of the uh, out of that sort of western Queensland and, and make it dry, which I, I just thought of cyclones. A cyclone would be good for everyone, but it's not, other than the wind. But I'm with Matt. The, the continual what-if scenario over the eight, last eight months and, and this is coming not from me, this is coming from people in the bush. They said it wore them down. They said they've never had it before. It was just a continuous rebadging of what if, what if, what if. And, and now that they've announced the El Nino, it seems to have gone away and everyone's gone, oh, right, well, we're just back to if it rains today, it rains, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. What did you both think of the recent uh, move to make the price transparency regime in beef a little less opaque than it is the ag ministers promised to look at the grocery code of conduct and other people are making um, moves about looking at the... Well, Woolies today announced a, a reduction in lamb prices over Christmas, as we've already mentioned, but nothing for beef, but it will get in the, under the microscope very soon, I suspect. What do you think of that? As a person that looks at Marx all the time and, and an economist by training, 
you know, efficient markets are great, and the way you get efficient markets is by having all the participants or you know as knowledgeable as possible. So the transparency, I think, at the outset, is always a good thing, and more transparency, the better. The only thing I'd add, though, from the perspective of the red meat sector from Australia, is we do need to be careful that we, if we because we are we are heavily export focused, right? Now, if you look to the US and their beef system, they've got an incredibly transparent, regulated. It's a, it's, it's it's kind of a legislated the information that has to be passed through the participants into the supply chain, um, and that makes theirs incredibly transparent. You can see exactly what's going on. But the US in their beef space, they they consume ninety percent. The, the beef they produce, they consume that at home. The, the export side of the market is, is, yeah. is only 10%, right? Australia, whether it's sheep meat or whether it's beef, we're, we're on any given year, we're 70% to the export market and it's a highly competitive space. So as an industry, I think, yes, transparency is good. If we can say a bit more about giving farmers confidence, they're not getting you know, bent over or, or the consumer's not getting ripped off by the retailers or whatever, that's a good thing, but we've got to balance it out by making sure we don't provide too much depth and information that it actually hurts our competitive position globally when it comes to you know competing with the Kiwis in sheep meat globally or whether it comes to competing with the South Americans or the Americans in, in the beef space globally. I don't think transparency would do any harm whatsoever, but um, uh, that's talking through my kick, I suppose. But look, folks, time is on the wing. Once again, final question this time. I will be checking in about March of next year. I've given you $10,000 each. <laughs> what livestock are you buying and turning over quickly? I think Chris hit the nail ahead in terms of that, that store lamb opportunity, I think, is, is very good at the moment. Um, and, and I think in the cattle space, just going for the, the lighter weight, whether it's a heifer or a steer, I think um, you could you could work out all right with that as well, just getting that kind of lighter animal and just focusing on putting that weight on and and what i what i would be doing i think if, you, if you've got the opportunity to put lots out i'd be i'd be targeting the lighter store lamb and targeting into may june july yeah. um you know i wouldn't be trying to grab the heavies and going into january february you know everyone what we find is the third week of january you come back from school holidays you go oh shit there's not as much left in the paddock as i thought and then you see that sort of run of that run of um lambs as they get cleaned out on the back of feed and then we go into the next cycle you get easter easter's early this year which is good and then after that you, you tend to see a build on pricing we didn't see it last year because the drama of foot and mouth and everything like every time we tried to get our head above water someone just pushed it down so i think this year we're back to what i would suggest back to normal man matt from mep3 chris representing the independent agents around australia Happy Christmas to you both. Thank you so much for your very enjoyable work on the grill for Beef Central. Good on you. Thanks. Thanks, Kerry. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been the Weekly Grill brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis.